It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. I'm a little under the weather this week, so you'll have to bear with me as I sound a little bit less like my usual self. But the show must go on, and we got a game to recap. The Vikings blew the doors off of the Miami Dolphins, 41-17 to on Sunday, and we got to talk about it. So just a quick blow-by-blow of the game. The, the game started off with this like electric first quarter, right, with three touchdowns on three drives, and on the other side of the ball was all three and outs, and it, it was just beautiful. The first quarter could not have gone any better for the Vikings if we had dreamed it up. And then on the fourth drive, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings were driving down the field again. I think 10 plays in, there was that nasty pick six on a wide receiver screen that Kirk Cousins just should have turfed, but honestly, Megan Fitzpatrick just made a really good play, really good read on it. And that led to 17 unanswered points. It was 21-17. Everybody was sweating. We were all on Twitter going like, oh my goodness, are we going to blow a lead? By the way, I think that marks 34 games that the Vikings, in a row, that the Vikings under Mike Zimmer have not blown a double-digit lead. Like, 34 in a row when they've gotten a double-digit lead, they've held on the win. But after that, the Vikings turned on the Jets. There was a big, long return by Marcus Sherrills that led to a field goal, and then a bomb touchdown to Aldrick Robinson, and then a really, like, highlight reel SC Top 10 touchdown by Dalvin Cook, and the game was completely out of hand. So when you look at the game as a whole, I know we were all kind of sweating there in the third quarter, but when you look at the game as a whole... It was really domination in all three phases. The offense was able to put up 41 points without too much help from, like, short fields or anything like that. There were a couple times, but not not enough to, like, delegitimize what the offense did. The defense was truly dominant, and I know that the Dolphins were really, really banged up, especially at the skill player positions, but nine sacks and just complete and utter domination outside of one long run and a pick six that was not the defense— The Dolphins were unable to get anything going, and even on special teams, the Vikings clearly won. They had very, very good flips of field position. They had the long Sherrill's run, and Dan Bailey made all of his kicks. Ultimately, there is not a lot of negative to look at for this game, Uh, and that is a really, really nice thing in December when you're trying to work out the kinks and make a playoff push. So right now, I want to just go through some like keys to the game, and then we're going to go to a break and come back. We're going to talk a lot about the offense, and then we're going to do the second break, and when we come back, we'll do the defense, and we'll go back over some of the bold predictions you did. So keys to the game. The first one I want to talk about, obviously, is going to be like the headline for everybody, and that's Kevin Stefanski's first game was a resounding success. It really does look like, if you just kind of look at everything the offense put out in the first 14 weeks of the season, and then this game... It looks like John Filippo was the problem, and, and I don't think that that's untrue, but I do think that we have to like caution ourselves. I'm going to get into this more uh, in the offense segment, but I think we have to caution ourselves against learning the wrong lesson from what the Vikings did and why they were successful, but that isn't to say that like Stefanski wasn't successful or anything, or like, secretly wasn't because of him or any stupid thing like that. Stefanski called a really nice game. And there's some things he did that John Filippo wasn't doing that were really, really, really nice. I can't wait to get into that. But I think the biggest thing about Stefanski's offense that was different that I want to touch on right now is that there was no miscommunication that I can remember or at least could tell, right? Everybody appeared to be on the same page. The offense appeared to be clicking and working with rhythm. There was a lot more tempo and no huddle, which I thought was very interesting. It's very difficult to pull off. 
but like it results in you not seeing things like these errant passes or these deep balls that are to nobody or, you know, possibly worse issues. The worst play the offense had was the pick six, and that wasn't the play call. It was third and 15, wide receiver screen. That's a very standard, you know, common practice play call on third and 15. Kirk Cousins just didn't quite read it right or should have turfed it, or honestly, we, we can throw the blame game around all we want, but I think we can chalk that one up to Minka Fitzpatrick making an awesome play, and it's unfortunate that it happened on a play where that means that it's a pick six because nobody was going to get him. So Stefanski's first game after like simplifying things or doing whatever he had to do to, to remove that miscommunication and all that confusion from the offense worked really, really, really well. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is the blitz packages. So uh, another big headline, right? Nine sacks for the Vikings, and I think between like six or seven different players. So if you go back and watch like a highlight reel of those or whatever, what you'll find is that a lot of those were unblocked. So what that means is that the the offensive line of the Dolphins was struggling a lot to figure out their protections and figure out who was supposed to block who, and it meant that somebody could just run through freely without ever having to beat a block. That is awesome. That is amazing. That's outcoaching the opponent, and I think like we give a lot of flack to the Vikings coaches when they get outcoached, and rightfully so, right? But I think we equally have to turn around and give them credit because on, Mike Zimmer outcoached the Dolphins. That is absolutely what happened. That's where this game started, and everything else trickled down from there. So the last kind of key to the game I want to touch on, like, on an overall sense, and we'll get deeper into this stuff in the later segments, but I want to talk a little bit about the run blocking. The run game was super explosive, right? There were three rush touchdowns. I think it was, like, 200 yards on the ground or something crazy like that. And a lot of that was the running backs choosing the right gaps and stuff, but a lot of the best things the running backs did were in the second level. And they were allowed to do things in the second level because they didn't have to work very hard to get into the second level, get past the first level. So all that means is getting uh, the first level's defensive line, second level is everything else back there where there's more space and, and running backs can be more dangerous. So getting through that defensive line was really easy because of an absolutely fantastic game by the offensive line. And the offensive line did well in pass prote protection too. At least I'm saying that kind of, this is like a rapid reaction. I'm going to vet all this. And, and if I end up being wrong about that in terms of pressure or whatever, I'll update you guys tomorrow. But it looked like at least the offensive line did a great job in both the run and the pass. And that is phenomenal. And I'll get more into why that happened, uh, like I said, later. But getting a good game from the offensive line, this would mark three good games from the O-line in a row. That is a great momentum to be building down the road in December. Speaking of down the road in December, I want to talk a little bit about the playoff positioning and, and where this game puts us. Uh, so the Vikings are now 7-6-1. There are a couple of 7-7 seven and seven teams, right, breathing down their neck. And Carolina plays New Orleans on Monday night, uh, tonight probably, as you're listening to this. So they'll get a chance to go to 7-7 seven and seven as well. So they'll be a half game behind us and vying for that sixth seed. So what that all means is that if the Vikings can go into Ford Field next week and take care of business and beat the Lions, it means we just need one loss out of Carolina, Philadelphia, and Washington to clinch, or beat the Bears and we just clinch on our own anyways, and that's obviously ideal. But the good news about that is that Philadelphia and Washington play each other, so that's going to guarantee one of those losses and then we just need the Saints to beat Carolina once or we need the the winner of the Philadelphia Washington game to drop one for whatever reason. I know Houston is also involved in that. 
it's a very tough schedule for all three of those teams. So the Vikings are in pretty good position after this win, and they really, really, really needed it. So with that, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're just going to deep dive into the offense at least as much as we can in the kind of moments immediately following the game. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. And we are back. So let's start with this offensive talk, this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful discussion about a beautiful offense uh, by talking about Kevin Stefanski and what was different. So the offense puts up 41 points. Obviously, some of that was helped by short fields. The Sheryls ran a couple of turnover rundowns, but like, come on, let's not nitpick. It was an amazing offensive performance, pretty much any way you measure it. And it comes right off the heels of firing the offensive coordinator. And this new guy comes in. He's like a shot in the arm. He's a total unknown. And it looks like he's called a brilliant game. So what did he do differently? The first thing, and we kind of heard it on the broadcast and we've heard it through Vikings media here and there, is that he simplified things, right? There were a lot of weird pre-snap motions and pre-snap reads and stuff, a lot of which would go to waste or not get used, but just end up confusing the offense. And it led to all this miscommunication. If you followed me on Twitter, at LukeBronNFL, uh, if you followed me on Twitter, you would know that like I've been harping on that ever since the, the first game of the season, even the preseason. And seeing a game without that really is a testament to Kevin Stefanski understanding what his players can execute and be successful with without losing the strategic elements that make defenses struggle with it. And I think he just did a really good job of like playing to the strengths of his team. But when you look at the actual plays that were called, you don't see a lot that was like super different from what the offense has been doing all year. And that kind of makes sense, right? You you have to install your playbook over the course of training camp. You need to teach the players all the plays. That takes, like, a long time in training camp. So you can't just, like, turn around midweek and teach the players a million new plays. You have to kind of use what's been installed. But the way he used it was a lot different. And, and I think in terms of simplification, it was more in the way that, that players communicate and think on the field, not necessarily what you're asking them to do. You're still designing plays that are supposed to just get Diggs and Thielen one-on-one, you're still using zone runs, that's always going to be the kind of best way to like utilize the talents that the Vikings have. It's just a, a different way of calling it that makes it a little easier mental, mentally. And on the other hand, just to play devil's advocate, it could just be a difference in execution. You saw better run blocking, you saw better play from the wide receivers, you saw for the most part better play from Cousins than you've seen in the last couple couple weeks. Maybe Miami's defense is just bad, 
they had a notoriously bad defensive line. They had not been able to get a lot of pressure on anybody. They have had struggles in the secondary. Xavier Howard didn't play. Minka Fitzpatrick did play. He had a good game, but he's only one person. Bobby McCain was a complete disaster. There's a chance that for all this honking, we're doing that, oh, the offense is, like, fixed now, and Stefanski was totally the thing, and John Filippo was the problem. It might just be a very, very strong remedy to go against a bad defense. But that's all speculation, and, and I'm not going to make that declaration right now. But I do want to talk a little bit about the run game, because the run game completely exploded. And I think there's a couple reasons for that that are really, really smart and reflect well on Kevin Stefanski. So at least to my eye, it looked like the Vikings ran outside a lot. And, and that is really, really encouraging to me because with John Filippo, Dalvin Cook was running up the gut a ton. I talked about this last week that I didn't like the way that they were using gaps. And, and they were using him as like a physical, you know, pound, grind the game out type player. And, and that's just not what a modern run game should be. It, it shouldn't be two yards and, and a cloud of dust. It should be a way to get your playmakers into a spot where they can make a play and, and make a defender miss and, you know, try to get an explosive play out of it. And we, and we definitely saw that, I think, the last Dalvin Cook touchdown. Love that I have to specify which Dalvin Cook touchdown. Uh, but the, the fourth quarter one, the, the dagger one, um, that, I think, is a great example of it, right? He had very good blocking. He was able to get into space. He was able to get some room to work pull off a little spin move, and then bounce to the outside and score, that, I think, is a much more valuable iteration of the run play than, you know, picking up three yards and, like, trying to erode the willpower of an NFL team. That seemed like what the Vikings were trying to do a little bit with the run game in the earlier parts of the season. And with a guy like maybe Latavius Murray, that makes a little more sense, right? He's big, he's physical, he's, like, 6'2", he's, you know, he can, like, really pound it. Dalvin Cook is a finesse runner. He's a guy that can get you a lot of yards if you give him the space to do so, but just pounding him into a brick wall doesn't make a lot of sense. So the outside runs really, uh, they, they were really encouraging to see. The Vikings had been running outside a little bit more. Uh, they ran outside a lot in the Seahawks game, actually. But one thing I saw that, that really encouraged me, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to do a little bit of film on this on Twitter, is... During the zone runs, they looked like more classic zone runs, but they, they included a lot fewer reach blocks. I noticed on a lot of the big plays that Murray and Cook were able to generate, there was nobody on the line was reach blocking. Now, what a reach block is, it's when the offensive line starts on one side of the guy he's supposed to block and has to actually step to the other side, turn around, and then seal him off. It's really, really hard to pull off. When you do, it's really impressive, and it usually leads to a big play because that's going to be like the leverage point, you know? Uh... But it's really, really hard to pull off. And when you have a, an offensive line that has struggled to run block for the entire season, asking them over and over and over and over again to do reach blocks is probably unwise. And it's one of the reasons, probably one of the things that got John Filippo the boot. It's becoming very clear that Dalvin Cook is one of the best playmakers on the Vikings, that he's a guy that can be explosive in the same way that Diggs or Thielen can if you give him the opportunity to do so. And because he's a running back, you have to work a little harder to do it, right? You have to block for him. But if you can block for him, if you can get him into space, and if you can get him, you know, into a spot where he could, like, get the edge, like on his first touchdown, where he can get the edge on someone, 
he can make huge plays happen, and that's going to matter a ton down the stretch, especially in road games out in the cold where it's harder to throw out in the elements. It's going to be a big deal. So last thing I want to talk about with the offense, and it's weird because I, I didn't see many people touching on this after the game, but Adam Thielen was like nowhere to be found yesterday. Just two catches for 19 yards. Now, I'm sure that when we pull up the tape, we're going to see Adam Thielen getting bracketed and doubled all over the place. We're going to see that the Dolphins came out with this game plan to, like, take Thielen out of the game, and that's totally well and good. But the reason I want to touch on this is because Adam Thielen was a non-factor, and the Vikings put up 41. That is an excellent sign. You're going to have defenses from here on out take away one of Thielen or Diggs or try to take away both, kind of like the Seahawks did. They are going to key on those players. They are very clearly the players through which this offense runs. So defenses are going to key on them all the time. That's just going to be life. Seeing the offense function in spite of that really inspires a lot of hope. Okay, so we're really quick. We're going to run into our second break. And when we come back, we'll talk defense. And welcome back. So with the defense, the thing I want to start with, it's probably going to be everybody's headline, is the nine sacks, right? And just generally the pressure on Ryan Tannehill. The pressure with the front four actually wasn't getting there very often. A lot of these came on blitzes. And they came on blitzes or stunts that really confused the Dolphins' offensive line, and they weren't able to get a hand on the guys at all. There were a lot of untouched sacks. That's a really interesting trend. So before the game, we talked about the interior line of the Dolphins and how they had a lot of trouble on stunts. Now, all a stunt is is when one player will kind of crash inside of the place where they usually pass rush and another defender will like loop around that guy and pass rush up his gap. So it's kind of a way of not only confusing the line but making it really hard for them to keep all of their blocking assignments intact, right? Do you take the guy who you were supposed to take, who you lined up in front of, or should you let that guy go, hope your teammate's going to get him, and wait for the guy looping around? The second thing is the right answer, but it's really hard, especially for young linemen or struggling linemen, to get that right. And the Dolphins have not been an exception to this. They've struggled with it all year. So those issues really are, like, rooted in communication. And you know what else is rooted in communication? Blitz pickups. The Vikings have been amazing since Mike Zimmer got here, really, at disguising their blitzes and their blitz calls and making it really, really difficult for the offense, whoever's calling the protections. Most of the time, it's the center. Sometimes it's the quarterback. But whoever is making that decision makes it really hard for them to read who is coming and who isn't. So next time you're watching a football game, I want you to actually kind of play along with this. Watch the centers. Uh, If you're going to watch tonight's Monday night football game between the Saints and Panthers, Watch, like, Max Unger and Ryan Khalil, the centers for the Saints and Panthers, respectively. I think, unless one of those guys was hurt. I'm not too up-to-date on it. Uh, But watch those guys and watch them as they're coming to the line. You'll probably see them, like, pointing at defenders and, like, calling out random words. They are setting the protections. They're saying, okay, that guy is is the middle linebacker. You'll, You'll hear oftentimes, like, 51's the Mike or whatever. That means Mike for middle, middle linebacker. And everybody else figures out their protection from there. Okay, if that guy's the middle, I block the guy two out out from the middle. Okay, now I know who I'm supposed to block. So I want you to try to figure it out in the same time frame as they are. Just look at the defense and the way that they're aligned and see if you can figure out who's coming. Usually it's the four defensive linemen, and most of the time you'll be able to kind of say, okay, it's just the four defensive linemen, just those four are coming, and that's great. 
But look at the linebackers, look at the cornerbacks, see if you can pick up on any tells, see if you can figure out who's blitzing. It's not easy to do. And with the Vikings, they disguise it. They, they commit a lot of energy to disguising that. And I think like once a game, it leads to an unblocked sack. In this one, it led to like four. And that is a huge indictment of the protection calls, huge indictment of the, the Dolphins center, huge indictment of Ryan Tannehill being unable to diagnose that pre-snap. And honestly, a huge indictment of the Dolphins coaching that something that works reasonably against everybody else, and it's great that the Vikings do it because it works reasonably against everybody, absolutely kick the crap out of the Dolphins. That's really bad on the Dolphins. And kind of going back to the point that I made earlier, we shouldn't go too gung-ho on this game because it was very clear that the Dolphins were not up to par. Great that the Vikings won. Great that the Vikings blew out an NFL team. That's always hard. But grain of salt. So on the back end of the defense, the coverage was excellent all day. There were a few times where the broadcast blessed us with shots of the secondary. It really, I, I'm really sad that in broadcast angles, you can't see what's going on in the secondary. I think it's kind of the most interesting part of most passing plays. But when they did show us that, you could see that Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes were playing like very good corners, like we've kind of come to expect them to. Mackenzie Alexander had an excellent game. I even saw Holton Hill in there on one of the replays, almost getting an interception, matched up with Mike Gusecki, the, the ultra-athletic matchup nightmare tight end. That's really cool to me. A, I don't know why he was still getting reps. Maybe Xavier Rhodes still isn't 100%, or maybe it was just a relief thing. But really cool to see him line, lined up against a tight end and actually getting position on the tight end, forcing the tight end to play defense to stop an interception. That that was an awesome play by Holden Hill, who continues to impress week in and week out. And, and I, I don't want to gloss over Mackenzie Alexander either. I know I just kind of sent him very fast. A really nice game for him, at least as it looked on the broadcast. And that's really encouraging because he's been, you know, up and down this season. Ultimately, it's really nice to know that the Vikings coverage can function the way it's supposed to function when everybody's healthy. It got really dicey when people were hurt and we had to be starting, you know, Marcus Sherrills and Holton Hill. Now that everybody's back and healthy, it looks like a, a formidable unit, the kind of formidable unit we've come to expect under Mike Zimmer. Really nice to see that come through in a game. So now it's time to revisit some of the bold predictions, and I'll get to the ones that I shouted out in last week's preview show in just a second. But I do want to revisit uh, one that I did not shout out on the show, but actually ended up being right. Uh, Walters, at ZachWalters4 on Twitter, did call two Dalvin Cook touchdowns. That's pretty excellent. Way to go, Zach. I also want to call out uh, Travis Wingfield from our Crossover Wednesday episode. I'm going to ask every host we do that with to do a bold prediction for that upcoming game. Uh, so for Travis Wingfield, he predicted that Mike Kosicki would get a touchdown. Swing and a miss on that one. But it's supposed to be a bold prediction. So the fact that anybody got one right is really cool. So on to yours. First up, we had somebody predicting that there would be a return touchdown and an interception by Marcus Sherrills, and also that Mike Prefer would be fired. So none of those things happened, but Marcus Sherrills did have a pretty nice game returning. So I'll give you at least points for being in the ballpark. Uh, we also had one with uh, Brian O'Neill catching his first NFL touchdown. Uh, he also called the called the score as 44-7, 41-17. He was not too far off, uh, but Brian O'Neill did not catch any passes, but I love that. And uh, the third one was a J-Ron Curse pick six. Really wish we would have seen more J-Ron Curse, but Mackenzie Alexander had a really nice game pushing J-Ron Curse closer and closer to the bench. Uh, but there's still plenty of season left for J-Ron Curse to get out there and get a pick and maybe, maybe house it. 
So that is going to do it for this week's Locked on Vikings. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for gritting out my really stuffed up voice for this one. Hopefully I'll be a little better tomorrow and I'll get better throughout the week. Uh, but thank you all for your patience with that. Uh, my name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can follow the show at Locked on Vikings. Uh, we are going to be back tomorrow. We're going to deep dive a little further into this game and then start to maybe look ahead or, or maybe do something else. Kind of depends. I haven't decided yet. Uh, but it has been a pleasure talking at you for approximately 23 minutes, and I will see you all tomorrow. Skull. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.